Our psalm for today is Psalm 129. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, let Israel now say. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back, they made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous, he has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do those who pass by say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. God, we just praise you and thank you for your word. We thank you that these psalms have so much of what we need in our hearts, God. They are filled with emotion and troubles that we really go through in this life. We thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness in speaking to us through these psalms. We thank you for this particular psalm today about perseverance, God. There is much evil and much that we go through in this world that is a struggle and that we have to fight to keep going. But we know, God, that your spirit is within us and that you have promised that all of these things that we go through have a purpose, that you are using them, and that you will finish the work that you started. God, would you speak to our hearts today, encourage us, lift us up, challenge us, God, that we may live according to your truth. We bless you, we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Wow, Jen, that prayer. I mean, you, I know you said it a long time ago, but that's exactly what we need today. Exactly what we need today. Well, good morning online for those who are tuning in, for those who are here. So glad to be with you. Um, we're in the middle of November, and last week we were dodging a tropical storm. Uh, welcome to Florida. And we're all so eager to celebrate Christmas that we're decorating our houses, we're listening to Christmas music, while we're also in the middle of 90% humidity and 85 degree weather. Welcome to Central Florida. Welcome to Cross Point. Um, we're in uh, what is called the Psalms of Ascent. If you open your Bibles, which I encourage you to have your Bible open, whether that's on your phone or it's a physical Bible, um, open to Psalm 129. The the Psalms of Ascent, just by way of review, are, are the Psalms that were sung by the ancient Israelites on their way up to Mount Zion for the festivals, for the gatherings. It was their Spotify playlist as they went from their various regions to go up into Jerusalem to worship Yahweh, their creator, and celebrate his grace, his provision, and his goodness in all of their lives. Now, these psalms capture a whole range of human emotion. One of the things that I'm really grateful for the Psalms is that it's not simply an exercise for the mind, but the Psalms really engage your heart. They're honest about life. Eugene Peterson, he says, There is no literature 
in all the world that is more true to life and more honest than the Psalms. For here we have the warts in all religion. Every skeptical thought, every disappointing venture, every pain, every despair that we can face is lived through and integrated into a personal saving relationship with God. A relationship that also has in it acts of praise, blessing, peace, security, trust, and love. He continues saying, good poetry survives not only when it's pretty or beautiful or nice, but when it is true, accurate, and honest. The Psalms are great poetry and have lasted not because they appeal to our fantasies and our wishes, but because they are confirmed in the intensities of honest and hazardous living. When we take a step back from where we are in our world in 2020, I think we could say that 2020 feels as though it's hazardous living. We're trying to avoid certain things. We're trying to keep our jobs. We're trying to go through life and come out unscathed. Now what the Psalms do is it makes not just the common message of hardship for humanity known among us, but it makes known the hardships of remaining faithful to Christ in calamities, in distress, in our challenges, and in our problems. You know, one of the things that we should say coming out of this year is that more than anything this year, what we're most concerned about is remaining faithful to our God and King, remaining faithful to Yahweh in our lost and broken world. Now, Psalm 129 is one of those examples of an honest psalm. It's a psalm that reflects persecution, hardship, and suffering for Israel. Derek Kidner is a commentator on the book of Psalms, scholar. He says, Whereas most nations tend to look back on what they have achieved, Israel reflects here on what she has survived. Something power about the, powerful about the story of Israel isn't their achievements, but it's their survival. There's an old story about King Louis XIV and Blaise Pascal, who was a famous Christian philosopher. And King Louis XIV comes in front of Blaise Pascal and he asks him the question, he says, why should I believe in what you believe? Why should I believe in your God? I don't want to hear all the fluff. I don't want to hear all the intellectual answers. He said, just give me one word for why I should believe in your God. And Blaise Pascal says, simple. It's Israel. Israel. If you follow the Old Testament story of Israel, you will see that their survival is nothing short of 
the hand of God delivering them time and time again. Now, you don't have to do a complete survey of the Old Testament, but if you just open up to the book of Daniel and read the book of Daniel, you'll see both in Daniel's lifetime and through Daniel's prophecies, all the trials and tribulations and persecutions and calamities that befall upon Israel through the rise and fall of these great powerful forces and mights of this world. And what remains steadfast over Israel's history isn't Babylon, it isn't Persia, it isn't Greek, and it isn't Rome. It's Israel. The people of God in the midst of persecution, calamity, destruction, and despair have survived. Our goal in the Christian life isn't simply survival. Although God does grant us survival. Throughout all human history, we will find true Jesus' words, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We will find those words to be true. But it's not simply our survival that God is after. But it's our perseverance in the faith, that we would remain faithful. If I were to sit down with each of you and have a cup of coffee and talk with you about the hardships related to the faith in Jesus Christ that you have endured, I'm sure we would sit face to face and we would find ourselves both weeping and laughing through the struggles that we've endured in this life together. I have no doubts about that because faithfulness in Christ is filled like the book of Psalms with these heartfelt emotions of deep loss and deep joy and deep sorrow and deep, deep gratitude. But in the midst of the roller coaster and the emotions, the only thing that's steadfast and sure is God enabling our perseverance in the midst of it. In fact, that's our big idea for today, is that God enables the perseverance of his people. God enables the perseverance of his people. The first thing we see in this psalm in verses 1 through 3 is perseverance in the face of evil. Uh, Verses 1 and 2. Greatly they have afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, greatly they have afflicted me from my youth. Yet they have not prevailed against me. So when you read this, think about they're standing in the, the gathering at Zion and they're singing worship songs to the Lord. And this song of perseverance, this song of survival is on their lips. And the worship leader from the platform is doing a call in response. He says, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Now everybody say, now let all the people sing. Greatly they have afflicted me from my youth. If you know the story of Israel, you know the story uh, from their infancy of persecution. You know the story of when they were led out of Egypt under the bondage of Pharaoh and in slavery in their infancy. 
You know the story of captivity in Babylon and throughout the kings and empires of the world. It's why Eugene Peterson, in his message Bible paraphrase, says, They kicked me around ever since I was young. Israel knew what it felt like to be bullied. In fact, it may have been all they have ever known, and they wondered if it would ever stop, if being bullied was just a part of life, and it was far more than being bullied. It was being tormented by an evil world. Today, like Israel, we must understand that we are living in a world that seeks our destruction. That we are living in a world where evil seeks to win. And that part of God giving us the endurance or the perseverance to bear up under the weight of this world to persevere is God giving us the endurance or perseverance in the face of evil. Now, I want to say this because when we think about this psalm, it's written on behalf of the people of God. It's not just an individual psalm. It's a psalm that is collectively seen together that everybody can identify with. But, but I also want to kind of zoom in on, on the individual aspect of this in our lives and say, you know, you, you might have had to endure unbelievable evil oppression in this life in some way. And, and, and it's, it's that for a moment that I want to speak to. Because you know the despair that's in the middle of feeling like you can't persevere in evil. And what I'm speaking to as it relates to evil is not that something necessarily happens to you, but evil happens at the hands of someone who seeks to harm you. Evil is abuse. Evil is oppression. Evil is meant to bring about your worst so that someone else can profit from your pain, so that someone else can benefit from your hardship or your trial. That's why evil is evil, because evil seeks to only advance self while it's completely okay to destroy the innocence of others. I've sat with enough people to know that there's enough stories of horrific abuse and hardship at the hands of those who are supposed to, to love us or love them to say that it's hard to see the hand of God in the midst of evil. It's hard to see the hand of God in the midst of this lost and broken world. And, and maybe today individually you can collectively also join in this song and say, I'm a survivor like Israel. I'm a survivor that I've been able to, to walk in the midst of evil with perseverance because God's allowed me to endure it. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 1500s, he talks about the oppression of evil in three ways. And the three ways he talks about the oppression of evil are the world, the flesh, and the devil. So uh, in, in the world... What he's talking about as it relates to the oppression of evil in the world, it's, it's the systems, 
It's the structures of this world that are set about to see that the will of God is not accomplished, but the will of the world is advanced. And the will of the world is that which is opposed to God. In fact, Jesus says in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Now, when we feel the weight of, of, of oppression or evil coming in this world, and that might be a direct, uh, a direct assault of evil, maybe because of your faith, you at, at your workplace because you've chosen not to do something that uh, is a part of uh, this system of evil in your world, like, like maybe you're an accountant and, and your boss wants you to fudge the numbers so that you can uh, make a better showing f- for your investors. And if you say no to that, then you're going to be oppressed in some way. You're going to be stood against in some way. Or, or maybe it's even in your household, because of your faith, it, it, the hardship that you endure from even those who love you to get you to give up is this oppressive force against you. Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. The second uh, force of the oppression of evil comes about through the flesh. Uh, Paul says in Romans 8, 5 through 8, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the things of the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the things of the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The flesh is the war that doesn't rage on the outside of us, but the war that rages on the inside of us. The flesh is what Paul speaks about and Scripture talks about as our lives that are turned against God. Because our hearts are turned against God. And that there's not just a problem on the outside of us, but the inside of us. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. We often think that we can trust ourselves more than we can trust anyone else. But scripture says that you cannot trust the flesh that is opposed to God. And doesn't seek the advancement of his will, but seeks primarily the advancement of your will. Rather than praying the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We want my little K kingdom to come and my will to be done. And when we live for us, it is the flesh that causes us to necessarily be opposed to God. And that flesh is that what we should seek God's spirit to set us free from. Paul says that our flesh has been crucified with Christ. And the third oppression that comes about in the world that we live in through evil is the devil. Ephesians 6, 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You know, when we think about the spiritual realm, 
A lot of us don't pay a whole lot of attention to it because we're interested in what we see. But we don't really understand that, that there's this even a greater systems and structures than the world offers or our flesh can bring to the table that would cause our leaving or, or falling away from God, and that is the work of the enemy. The work of the enemy is his influence over all humanity, his invisible power. The scriptures call him the prince of the power of the air, that there's a dark force that seeks to advance what Satan wants for our destruction. In fact, Jesus says, he says, I come so that you would have life and life to its fullest. But Satan has come, and here's his job description, to steal, kill, and destroy. Abraham Kuyper, uh, a theologian, once wrote, if, if once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came into view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range, that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth would seem, by comparison, a mere game. Uh, we have just went through what is believed to be the most contentious election cycle of our history. It would, be, uh, it would be blind of us, foolish of us to not see that when you pull back the curtain on that which Satan is seeking do, to do, to steal, kill, and destroy what just happened and all the millions and millions of dollars invested into this last election cycle, it's a, a, a mere game compared to what Satan is seeking to do to divide and destroy God's church, God's people, that there is an enemy and he is seeking to devour, to devour. The second thing we see here in this psalm, we see it in the second part of verse three, and we also see it, uh, or I'm sorry, the second part of verse uh, two, and we also see it in verse three, is that perseverance comes through God's deliverance. There's this one three-letter word here that you got to pay attention to. It says uh, in verse 2, Greatly they have afflicted me from my youth, yet, yet they have not prevailed against me. Yet. While the plowman has plowed our backs, while they, they have made their furrows long, the imagery here is that your back is undergoing a cultivating, but a cultivating for destruction. And the furrows were like this irrigation system that would be long in the ground. While those things were meant to bring about wickedness in our lives, yet they have not prevailed against us. Why? Because God has delivered us. Verse 4. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. I was uh, working on my yard uh, over the summertime and uh, trying to re-landscape much of my front yard. And as I was landscaping the yard, I kept on finding all these cables out in, in the yard, and the, the homeowner that, uh, that lived there before me was a radio 
hobbyist. And so he had all these Cat 5 cables just kind of buried in the yard, all these different places. And I would see them from time and time uh, around the house, and they would frustrate me so much. And so this time I just decided, you know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to cut all these cables out of here. And I didn't really realize you know, if, if some of them might have been useful or maybe the house needed them for some reason. And so I just get my snippers and I'm just snip, 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 snip. And I'm taking all the cables and I'm bundling it up and I throw it in the garbage and I'm cutting the cord for these cables forever into my life uh, and into my yard. Um, and then about five minutes after I cut one, the kids come out and say, Daddy, the internet's not working. And I thought, I have cut the cord of wickedness. Thank the Lord. Oh, my soul. No more internet at our house. Wouldn't that be nice? We think. (laughs) I need it. I need it. So I call back Spectrum and the guy comes out, you know, the next day and he's digging the hole again and putting the cords back in. Um, uh, But as surely as I could snip the cord for internet uh, into my house, God has cut the cord of wickedness in our lives for good. He's cut it. Wickedness cannot assault us. Wickedness cannot destroy us. Wickedness will not gain victory over our life. And it's the righteous Lord who has done it. We, we ask the question, how can I persevere in this lost and broken world? How can I persevere when the hardship seems to get harder? We oftentimes want to think about our, like, what we can do to persevere. M- maybe I can read my Bible more. Maybe I could pray more. Maybe I could be around more faithful brothers and sisters in Christ on a regular basis, and that will help me persevere. And, and those things do help you persevere. Those things do help us walk in in, in a life of perseverance, but those aren't the cause of our perseverance. The cause of our perseverance is the Lord's righteousness. It's the fact that God has stuck with us rather than we sticking to him. See, uh, Eugene Peterson calls it the stick-to-itiveness of God. That even in our faithlessness, God finds himself faithful. Perseverance is a work of grace. It means that it is not about what we do, but it's about what Christ has done. And if we are going to find the strength to endure in this world, we have to find it from the righteous work of God in our life. And we have to namely look at it through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we see His work and His perseverance, then we see the Spirit's power. The same Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the grave is the same Spirit that lives in our lives so that we can endure the onslaught of this year, the onslaught of our struggles, the onslaught of our challenges, so that we can remain faithful and in love with God. Psalm 129 is a love song. It's a song of the people of God in the midst of great affliction saying, Yahweh is my everything. The righteous one will not let evil overtake me because he has conquered. There's a story about a woman named Corrie Ten Boom. She was a 
um, she was living in the Netherlands when Nazi Germany invaded. Corrie ten Boom uh, and her family helped some of the Jews that were in her community and that would come through her community uh, flee the Nazi regime. She didn't know what it was necessarily taking place, nor did others of where they were taking these Jews, but they, they hid them under their wood floors. If you read the book, The Hiding Place, you can read an account of this. But they would later take Corrie Tin Boom into custody and bring her into a Nazi concentration camp. And she shares of this experience of being in the Nazi concentration camp. She says, It grew harder and harder. Even within these four walls of the barracks, there is too much misery, too much seemingly pointless suffering. Every day something else failed to make sense. Something else grew too heavy. But as the rest of the world grew stronger, one thing became increasingly clear. And for that reason, the two of us, her and her sister, were here. Why others should suffer, we were not shown. As for us, from morning until lights out, whenever we were not in the ranks for roll call, our Bible was the center of an ever-widening circle of help and hope. Like waifs clustered around a blazing fire, we gathered about it, holding out our hearts to its warmth and light. The blacker the night grew, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burned the Word of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. You know, we, we don't know what tomorrow brings. No more than Corrie ten Boom knew that she would be in the Nazi concentration camp. But one of the things that we can bank our whole life on is that where we are in the midst of an evil world, God will deliver us. Like the blazing fire that she referred to as the Word of God, it will be a source of strength and security no matter how hard life gets. And God, through His Spirit, will give you the strength to bear up and persevere through whatever the world throws at you. The third point we see here is a perseverance through prayer. L listen to this prayer for a moment. It it's not your typical prayer knitted into your pillow with crochet. Uh, Psalm 129, verses 5 through 8. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like grass on the housetops which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms, nor those who pass by it say, The blessing of the Lord upon you. We bless the Lord. We bless you in the name of the Lord. What this prayer is called is an imprecatory prayer. It's a prayer that calls down the destruction from God upon his enemies. 
This isn't what we pray upon our enemies, you hear me? This is what we pray upon God's enemies. Because God calls us as Christians to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. But when we pray the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we are praying that God would advance his causes and destroy all causes that go against him. When we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, we are praying that the evil forces that seek to steal our faith would be destroyed. When we pray on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying for the eradication of wickedness in our world. And so it's a good thing to pray that God's will would be done and that ultimately the destruction of his enemies would be something that we could see, we could witness, and we could celebrate. Because it's the advance of God in our world through His power. And so we pray prayers like this. We see three things in this prayer. We see that the psalmist prays for the enemies to be turned back in shame. That they would have a short life like, like grass growing on the rooftop with just a little place to put its root. It's just going to grow up and then it's going to wither away. We, say, we see this prayer that the, the enemies would not be victorious and receive plunder from their victims. That they would not reap the spoils of war. And we pray ultimately that the enemies of God will receive no blessing from Him. That we would celebrate the advancement of God's causes as he destroys that which is wicked. Ephesians 6, 12 and 13 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against one another. But when we pray prayers like Psalm 129, verses 5 through 8, we can, like Martin Luther, pray that prayer in opposition of the world, the flesh, and the devil, because we know they will all be destroyed. The application of this perseverance, the perseverance of our life by, number one, we see... We have perseverance in the face of evil. Number two, we see that we have perseverance through God's deliverance. And number three, we have perseverance through prayer. What's the goal of this perseverance? The goal is the glory of God. The glory of God. That God would be exalted and magnified and lifted high. In our devotional this week, as you read it, you're going to read Jen say these words. And they're really powerful for us to hang on to. She says, an idea that we often forget is that suffering and glory go together. They're not a perfect, she says, they are a perfect pair and cannot be untwined. We love to think about heaven and being free of all pain, sickness, and sadness and brokenness. But we must remember that, what we must remember is that suffering is what creates in us that glory that we will share in. You can't share in Christ's glory if you haven't shared in his suffering. When you share in the sufferings of Christ, you enter into the brokenness of this world with healing. 
the healing power of the gospel that brings glory to God even in your deepest of pain. Christ is the only one who can sing, greatly they have afflicted me from my youth. You know the story where Jesus is a newborn babe and his parents are seeking to to flee Herod because they want his death? He can sing, greatly they have afflicted me from my youth. He can sing like Psalm 129.3, the plowers have plowed upon my back, they have made long their furrows. If you want a history lesson on what Jesus endured through his suffering on the cross, just watch the passion of Christ and you will see the plowers plowing his back in the furrows long. You will see that Jesus is the one who it says in Isaiah 50 verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters. We will also see in Christ the righteous Lord who cuts the cord of the wicked. Cuts the cord. Off forever. When I think of wickedness, the ultimate sign of wickedness, you know what I think of? I think of death. This past couple years, I've been through a lot of trauma related to death with my dad's passing and then my grandfather's passing. My dad passed before my grandfather, which was hard. And then my grandfather passed. And it, it's kind of been something that I've just tried in some ways to push aside as I live life. And yeah, it's there and I've got to deal with it, but I'm going to work through and I'm just going to plow ahead. But I find that the reminder of death is really close and it does cause me a fear. It's not my death that necessarily caused me a fear, but but those whom I love. In this past week, I uh, saw that up close and personal as I had to kind of relive that. Um, we were having a dinner on Tuesday evening. Um, my son had asked for steak because when we were on a little date last week, we had a steak dinner and he didn't get to be a part of it. So he asked if he could have steak. And so we made steak on the grill. And so um, we're sitting around the table and we're talking about uh, Christmas trees of all things. So normally we get a real tree, but this year my wife does not like cleaning up the pine needles and she's the only one who does it. And my daughter Adeline wants to put up the tree early this year because hello, it's 2020. We should have done that in March. (laughs) And so we're talking about it and I'm, you know, I'm the fan of the real tree. And my daughter Lily would say it, if it, if you don't have a real tree, you don't have a real Christmas. And so I tend to agree. Um, fake tree equals fake Christmas. But we're in the middle of this conversation, and then my wife, really alarmed, she says, Ryan, Adeline. And I look over, and Adeline's killed over. And, and she, she can't talk, and you can see her face getting red, and, 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 and obviously she's got this meat stuck in her throat. And I, I get up in a moment, and there's two thoughts. I mean, this is like a 10-second window. And in a split second, two thoughts come to my mind. One is, I better do something quick. And the second thought was, I hope this works. And then I, I get up, and I smack her back like five times. And then I pull her up, and I'm doing the Heimlich maneuver on, him and then on her. And then I hear these beautiful words coming out of her mouth. Okay, Daddy, okay. <laughs> I just... I sat in my seat and I just wept. I just wept. Because death, it feels so real. 
It feels so permanent. It feels so long-lasting, and it feels so wicked. But we have a Savior who entered into death to show us through the death burial and his resurrection that death is something that he voluntarily has defeated on our behalf that he took our sin and he took our shame and like the smiter smited his back he smited out death forever and when i think about that i have my daughter here she's perked up when i started talking about her (laughs) when i think about that I think, you know what? The promise of Jesus doesn't mean that we're going to have a long life here on earth. The promise of Jesus means that no matter how long or short our life is, when we put our faith and hope in him, we will live forever because of his victory. And so these words... The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cord of the wicked. These words are the words that we find hope in where we know that Jesus has cut the cord of the wicked by entering into the throne room of God on our behalf with acceptable sacrifice. Our sin was put upon him. He was punished in our place. He died the death that we deserve so that we can be given or granted the blessing of God, which is the life that only he deserves. That's the glory of the gospel. That's the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you enable us to persevere. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus endured the curse so that we can have his blessing. We thank you that Jesus, God, went under your wrath so that we can have your grace. God, we thank you that no matter what the world throws at us as a church, as individuals, God, it stands not a chance against your saving and delivering power. So, Father, we thank you, and I pray that today you would help us believe it. You'd help us believe it and walk in it. In Jesus' name, the church says, amen.